All right, we're going to come full circle this morning and go back to John chapter 4. And allow me to read John chapter 4, verse 23, down through verse 24. The Bible says, But the hour is coming, and now is here, or is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Well, I'm convinced that everything the church is supposed to be in this world is a byproduct of our spiritual act of worship. Now, I've been laboring hard, and I hate to have to preach all five sermons over again, but I'm hoping and praying that you are seeing that if we don't get this right, the church is not going to be right in the world. If you don't get this understanding that all that we're supposed to be is a byproduct of our worship, and I'd say to you today that includes discipleship, evangelism, missions, giving, works of mercy, education, your personal holiness, and your service are all connected to our worship. They're byproducts. First, God calls us to worship. Then He sends you out to witness and work. You've got to get those things in the right order. If you're just working and witnessing, and it's not for the glory of the King, then your, worship, your work and your witness is in vain. It has to be, of course, fueled by that. So God calls us to worship. You, you note the text. He is seeking true worshipers. Presupposes something. There are false worshipers. And there is false worship. There are true worshipers, and there is true worship. Otherwise, Christ would not have said this to the Samaritan woman. So worship inevitably puts God where He deserves to be. And it also puts you where you ought to be. Right? It puts the king who is worshipped in the right place he deserves to be. And the ones who are subject to him, it puts you in the right place. Yet in our day, we often are celebrating the great God of entertainment. And not our God. We live in the day of the worship of the great God of entertainment. So man gets the glory and God gets lost in all the fun. And unfortunately, that's what we're seeing today. Now, real quickly, rapid fire. God is seeking true worshipers, worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, God is willing and able to transform idolatrous, broken people and make them into true worshipers. That gives me cause to shout. That'll make a dead Baptist shout because all of you were sinners, right? Separated from God, and He's justified you, made you acceptable before the Father Thus, you've been given His Spirit. Jesus said, you worship in spirit and in truth. John 3 says, you must be born of the Spirit. So we take that to mean at least the capital S and probably the little s. In other words, your human spirit. Uh, what What Jesus is saying is at least this, that it's not your external form, but it's the internal form of your heart before the Lord being redeemed. And then that capital S, meaning that you can't worship God apart from His Spirit. And then we labored in the truth. We talked about how it's impossible to worship Him. Faith cometh by and hearing by the Word. So we, we labored on the truth and the Word of God. We even talked about singing. Praise God, you're getting it. I can tell, listening to you sing in the auditorium, listening to the choir, they're, in, they're singing 
praises to the glory of the Lord and praise God for that. And then we discussed, again, the Word. We talked about Lord's Supper and baptism as occasional acts of worship. And today, I want to add to this, if in fact the Word of God is the fuel for our spiritual health. If the Word of God is essential for our diet, which we know from 1, Timothy, uh, 1 Peter 2, that the Word of God is essential for you to grow. It's like a baby cannot grow without milk and nourishment. You can't grow as a Christian without the Word of God. And we learned these things. If that be the case, then worship must be the passion that we have. It must be, if the Word is the fuel, then worship must be the heartbeat of what we are doing at this church. So it's like the cardiovascular system that pumps blood through the body and keeps us all alive. And so this week I want to focus on our hearts. And the title of this one will be Worship, the Church's Passion. And I'm going to wrap up everything with this on worship, but I'm not letting you off the hook. Because next week and next Sunday night and future Sunday nights and Sunday mornings, I want to spend some time on evaluating our spiritual health. You ever gone to the doctor? What does the doc say? A little bit too flabby on this side. A little bit too much right here. Right? Blood pressure off a few ticks. Uh, Triglycerides are whacked up. I've been there. Doctors told me that. And what do you do? You listen to the doctor and you say, okay, spiritual, a physical inventory. Here are some things I need to work on. Well, the same is true for the church. We want to be spiritually healthy. So we're going to... We're going to move off the worship, which is the, the hub. Uh, everything else is going to be byproduct, and we're going to start talking about evaluating our spiritual health. Well, today I want to begin by evaluating our worship. Worship is our passion. And I want to give you a few propositions and or premises that we want to follow. First is this one. Worship is our life. Got it? Write it down. Worship is our life. Now, let's consider this corporately to begin with. The Bible says that the God of heaven redeemed you so that you would worship him. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 7 says, He made you for his glory. Think about that for a moment. You were made for the glory of the Lord. Isaiah 43 21 says, He formed you to offer praise to him. That's awesome. You were made for his glory and then he formed you to give him praise. Of course, the very first commandment. Reminds us of this, does it not? You shall have no other gods before me. So we're reminded of the fact that no God shall be before the face of us other than Yahweh God alone. So God's people, you and me, we were redeemed to worship the Lord. If you read through the book of Ephesians, you'll find that the first three chapters are laced with doctrine. What you should believe about God. Beginning in chapter 4, he's going to tell you how you should live. So with or orthodox and orthopraxy. You, you can't separate your learning from your living. And in this particular book, he drives home in the first three chapters things such as these. He chose you in him before the foundation of the world that you should give him praise. It was for the glory of his praise that he actually saved you. And then he starts giving this language of adoption. He says he adopted you into his family so that you would give him praise. Praise. It says you were redeemed by Christ's blood for the praise of His glorious grace. It says you've been given the Holy Spirit of God as a down payment. Why? For the glory of His praise. Anybody getting this? Do I need to keep running through the Scripture? He's worked in you. 
uh, Ephesians 2.10, so that you would be uh, a workmanship, you would be a poem, a poem after the grace of God. Why? So that you would give him praise. I'm going to flip over to second to First Peter. You can stay where you are. Second, uh, First Peter. Listen to this. Just driving that point home. All worship is our life. He was, you, you were saved for His glory and to praise Him. Listen to these scriptures. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of Him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why are you a people? Why are you a chosen race? Why are you a holy nation? That you might bring praise to the Lord God. That you might worship him. So he formed you, made you his possession, so that you would worship him. Brought you out of darkness, so that you would send forth his praise. This is what we are doing right now in this particular worship service. If you are a part of the chosen race, of the holy nation, of the people of God, if you've been taken out of darkness into His marvelous light, then your ultimate joy in life ought to be bringing God glory and praising His name. If you are saved, that's your calling. Now consider John 4. Once again, Jesus is actually seeking those who are worshipers, who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus did not say the Father seeks philosophers so that they can philosophize with me. It does not even say he is seeking theologians so that we can theologize, right? Not theology or to think about those things primarily as the number one thing. But what is the number one thing? He's seeking true worshipers. Y'all getting this? And ones who will worship him in spirit And in truth, again, we take that to mean that the Holy Spirit is carrying us along in this event inwardly because you've been transformed by the grace of God and saved. And truth meaning that you've got to have a right view of God if you're going to worship Him. And you can't have those right views without the Word of God. The music was great today, wasn't it? It was. Awesome singing. Instrumentalist sounded great. But it's very possible that you heard all those things today, yet you did not worship. In spirit and in truth. We're not talking about kneeling when you're supposed to kneel, standing when you're supposed to stand, read the Word when you're supposed to read the Word, sing when you're supposed to sing. God is is not most concerned with the fact that the voice is harmonized today. He's most concerned about the hearts moved with affections toward the God who saved them. That is the most important thing. He redeems you to be a worshiper. He didn't create you primarily to be a mom or dad. That stops. That makes us stop in our tracks, right? Because if you're a mom or a dad, like most of us are, you think that's what all of life is supposed to be about. He didn't create you primarily to be an architect or a lawyer or a policeman or a fireman or a doctor. He created you and redeemed you primarily to worship Him. I know we live in a society that cuts across the grain because we think everything's supposed to be about us. But that's where churches are missing it today. It's not about us. It's about Him. It's about the, this is a worship service for a reason. We come in here to worship the King, not ourselves. Right? 
And so do you realize that we were created and redeemed to behold the glory of the Lord? What we do here on the Lord's Day, according to the Bible and my personal opinion, what we do here on the Lord's Day is the pinnacle. It is the quintessential number one thing that we do on earth. And it's the number one thing in earthly experiences with our God is corporate worship together. That is the absolute pinnacle of our experiences after you're saved with the Lord God. And you say, preacher, I don't agree with that. Well, bring your word, your Bible, and let's talk about it. I'm daring you. Let's go through the word and find out what the pinnacle is. What we're doing here this morning is the only thing you're going to do throughout eternity. I mean, get this, folks. Read the word. This is the only thing what we enjoyed today. What we experience today in honoring our God corporately as a body, the way God has saved us, it's the only thing that you're going to do. And we love a lot of things around here, don't we? We love our jobs. We love our hobbies. We love our pleasures. We love Kansas City Chief football. (laughs) Right? We love all these things. We get excited about them. You know, we enjoy being parents and husbands and wives and whatever else the case may be. However... These enjoyments are often wonderful. We enjoy these kinds of things. And God has given them to us, and we need to thank Him for it. But there's only one thing in this life that you're going to do forever, and that's worship the King. That's one thing you're going to do forever, is worship the King. There's coming a day when you won't need a preacher, or elders, or deacons. You won't have to be taught the Word of God anymore. Be careful there. I'm not talking about tonight. And I'm not talking about next Sunday because I'm not out of my job yet because the king hasn't come down from heaven as of now. And uh, you're still alive. And I'm still alive. So we're called to to preach the word. But the time is coming. My job will be irrelevant. My job will be out of existence. And so will your jobs. Corporate worship is the very pinnacle of our existence. And maybe that cuts across the grain of everything you've ever thought about church. But I'm telling you, folks, if you thought differently, you're thinking wrongly. I'm just telling you, based on what the Word of God teaches. Worship is happening in this place when we come together. The house of God, corporate worship is to be our life. Now, that's the first statement. Here's the second statement. All of life is to be worship. Worship is our life. But secondly, all of life. That's the second premise You know, it's easy to exalt the Lord and worship God on the Lord's day, but to miss or dismiss what goes on during the week, right? It's easy to come together, but then how do we live? Well, the New Testament dogmatically teaches that not only is worship our life, but all of life is to be worship. I think what we do here together is the pinnacle of worship, but all of your life is to be worship. One of my life verses that enumerates the responsibilities of the people of God is found in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it's, it's really a life worship, is it not? I urge you, therefore, brethren, based on the mercy of God. Don't you love how Paul says that? It's all about Jesus, isn't it? It's all about the grace of God that has gripped your life. It's all about sovereign grace and truth that has transformed your life. So based on that mercy that God extended to you, now, offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, don't say just on Sunday, right? 
Offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. In other words, worship should touch every aspect of your life. And you know the be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But think about that. All of life is to be worshipped. Uh, Hebrews 13, 15 talks about spiritual uh, sacrifices of praise that come from our lips. All of that is, why? Not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday. This is worship lived out in your life. Colossians 3, 23, and I know some of you men won't like this, but it even tells us that your work that you do during the week, physically, to take care of your family, is an act of worship. And whatever we do, we do it heartily unto the Lord and for His glory. If your thought process is like this, it's wrong. Today is a day of rest and worship, and tomorrow we just go back to work. Now, folks, the real thought is today is a day of rest and worship, and tomorrow is a day of work and worship. Right? All of life is to be seen this way. Whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God as an act of worship. All of life is worship. Now, here's the question. How does our corporate worship and daily worship come together? How are we supposed to see this? Well, if your corporate worship is either, your corporate worship will either be enhanced or diminished by your daily worship during the week before you come here on Sunday. Is that a fair assessment? That's why, let's be honest, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. Yes, I am trying to make you feel uncomfortable. But here's the day, here's the thing, that's why we can come into this place and for some of us, as we walk into the back of the church, we sense the very presence of God. We know there's a holy hush over this place, and we're engaged with Him. We recognize His nearness. And you come in and you pour out your sacrifices of praise to Him. He's been good to you all week. Right? Because no matter what the circumstances are or what they have been, God is still unchanging. He's still Good, and you've worshipped Him all week. You've drawn near to Him in your praise. Others come into this place, and it's like a spiritual drought. Why is everybody getting so worked up? What's so good about that song we will remember? And you just feel like a desert. You're dry. You may get a stray raindrop sitting around somebody who's actually worshipping God, but for yourself, you feel like, you know what, I, I'm just not engaged. Well, if you come into this place and you've been dry all week, absence of the word, hadn't picked it up all week, or, or you haven't run over in your mind scriptures that you have memorized daily, you haven't engaged the work of the Spirit in your life, you're going to come into this place and you're going to feel absolutely dry. If you've been dry during the week, I'm telling you, you're going to be dry on the Lord's day. Worship is our life. He saved you for the praise of His grace and His glory. All of life is to be worshipped. Can y'all handle a couple more? Okay, here's the third one. How dysfunctional is our worship? Uh, let's turn the light in, introspect, uh, to do some divine introspection and say, Lord, what, how do I look in regard to the Word? How, are there any malfunctions? How dysfunctional is my worship? Let me do something for the smoothness of the reading. Let me read something to you out of the NLT. This is Isaiah 29. I want to talk about three types of malfunctions. Dead worship, 
deficient worship and entertainment worship. I want to hit these real quick. Listen to Isaiah 29, verse 13. And so the Lord says, these people say they are mine. We're good, about, we're good at that as Baptists, aren't we? We belong to the Lord. We're the Lord's, right? They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away. And their worship of me amounts to nothing more than human laws learned by rote. Because of this, I will do wonders among these hypocrites, and I will show that human wisdom is foolish, and even the most brilliant people lack understanding. I'm going to come back to the NLT in a few moments when we go over to Isaiah 58. But here's what's going on in this text. It's called dead worship. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far away from me. Folks, that's called dead worship. And by the way, Brother David is not going to be responsible one day for how you worshiped. And Brother David doesn't know what's engaging in the heart when you actually sing. But God does. He's the evaluator. We can't remove ourselves from him. David learned that, did he not? David said, if I ascend to heaven or earth or even hell, I can't get away from your presence. David knew this. So when we think about dead worship, notice what it looks like. They draw near. What is that called, folks? That's the act of worship. But they're drawing near only with their mouths. And God says, you honor me with lip service, but your hearts are far away from me. And what they were doing in Isaiah 29 is they had all the forms down. Look, folks, they had it down by rote, R-O-T-E. They had all the things down by rote. They knew it. They knew when to stand, knew when to sit, knew when to pray, knew when to sing, knew when to go home, knew when to zip up their Bibles. Right? During the invitation time. The right words were spoken, but no life. That's a scary thing, isn't it? That you can have all the forms right, all the lip service, but there's no burning devotion to the king who saved your soul. There are no genuine lofty thoughts of God. The traditions may be filled with good words, but there's no reality of life behind the words. Now, folks, this can be true individually, and it can be true corporately. If you get enough individuals that are practicing dead worship, and they come into a church on Sunday morning, then guess what you're going to have? You're going to have a congregation involved in what's called dead worship. Why? Because there's lip service but no change of heart. You may have said all the right words, but your heart was far away from God today. You can sit when you're supposed to sit, stand when you're supposed to stand, open the Word when you're supposed to open it, read it when you're supposed to read it, and you can still be consumed with all the things of this world and not aligning yourself with the God who saved you. You can be more concerned about who's winning the game or who's going to win the game. God is not fooled. Deficient or, or dead worship. The reality is that God is the searcher of the hearts. And ultimately, He's the evaluator of our worship. I can't ultimately evaluate you. I can only look at my own life and say, Whoa, it's dead sometimes, it's deficient sometimes, and it's entertainment sometimes. But I have to repent and confess And get right with God, and that's exactly what God wants you to do today. God above all knows if you're experiencing what's called dead worship. He knows the heart of the matter. He will never be fooled by all the right words at no time. He knows your heart condition. That's dead worship. How about deficient worship? There are two, and I've been preaching on this. Head-only worship and what we might call heart-only worship or emotionalism. 
when it comes to truth only or, or head only. You know, folks, you can have all the content exactly right. You can have your thoughts engaging the Lord in good content. And you may think, well, we actually sang John Newton's song, Amazing Grace, out of the Baptist hymnal. So i got to be worshiping God, right? You're not laughing. We use the Baptist hymnal, the 1960-something Baptist hymnal. We know the words of amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch. I, I know I said that today, so I'm fine. I'm doing good. My head is engaging God properly. Yet, to worship God only with your head is deficient worship. If it's only with your head, it's deficient. Why? Because there's another part of that. But let's, let's think of the other. One deficiency, head only. Another deficiency is heart only. And the charismatics have absolutely ruined us on this issue. Because their worship, a lot of times, is, it is heart only or emotionalism, barren truth. And folks, what I'm trying to do is tell you that you can't worship God apart from truth. But when you know the truth, it ought to set your affections on fire. And it's okay to clap. It's okay to worship the Lord. It's okay to raise a hand when you're worshiping the Lord. But if that's all you're doing, you know, it's amazing how that some churches believe that you turn the Holy Spirit on and off like a water faucet. I mean, you're all of a sudden just kind of in the melodrama, you know, melodrama, all of a sudden music comes on. Woo! God is great, you know. It's like you turn him on and off. And the invitation time, the Spirit, you know, tongue stop, turn off the hose and the Holy Spirit's gone, folks. That's bogus. Right? It is. The fact of the matter is, our affections should be stirred, but it has to be stirred with truth. Okay? And we should have uh, emotions. There should be this emotive sense that comes up out of the fact that we're engaging God according to the truth of His Word. Mindless worship, folks, is pagan worship. God is not interested in mindless worship, and He's not interested in lifeless worship. Here's the glory of it all. We ought to have both. Right? We ought to engage God with the truth, and we ought to have worship that is not lifeless. Be careful in this church, because you're going to hear the truth. And it'll be really easy for you to be a content-only engager. And there's going to be times when you hear a song like you heard today with thunder. And how that we should actually look like that if you're redeemed, because God didn't make you to sing as well. You don't want me to preach that over again, but I would. But the fact is, it would be real easy for you just to be heart-driven only or emotional-driven. You can't do that when it comes to God because He knows your heart. He knows if you're just going through the motions. He knows if your affections are engaged. And He knows if you're engaging Him according to the truth about who He is. And that's why it's so important. And there's one final one, and that's entertainment worship. You know, folks, worship is not an outreach program. And that's what people think. I was coming down the road, and Natalie said, check that sign out. We were coming out of Branson uh, to see my mom, and I looked up on the sign that said, you know, preachers aren't telling the truth. And I was like, wow. I don't know if I fit that or not. But, you know, but the fact of the matter is, there, there are so many people that are designing their worship service to be an entertainment time. You know, let's do this. Let's, let's make our church look as much like the world as we possibly can do. It's like, let's get it right up close to it so that we can draw people, right? So that when they come to our church, we can entertain them. And later, the entertainment might save them. Baloney. 
No one ever came to Christ through entertainment. You come through the Word, preached. You come by grace through faith, not in an entertainment. So we get this wrong. Folks, worship, we don't design worship for people to come. This is a huddle where the people of God come together to worship the King. And then you go out of here and run the plays during the week. And we've got it backwards. We've got it backwards in our world. We need to come. It's okay if lost people come. You need to invite lost people. But God saved you to worship Him so that He could send you to witness and to work. Right? That's what God called us to do. So, you may have come in here today and you say, man, the band was great. Singers were great. The most dangerous thing we can do is love worship without loving God. You know, you can be guilty of loving, loving God and not really loving God. We, the most dangerous thing facing our churches today is we love worship more than we love God. Because I'm telling you, when you start talking about obedience, people start shutting the door on you. We love the worship service. We love to hear the singing. All right, then tithe. Uh, there was a bumper sticker that used to be around. It says, honk if you love Jesus. <clears throat> I want to make one that says, tithe if you love Jesus. <laughs> Amen? I mean, don't bring that stuff to the Lord. He knows your heart. You stand up here and I'm praising Jesus. But every dime you got stays in your pocket. You're a hypocrite. I love y'all, but I'm going to tell you the truth. And the truth is, folks, and I know there's extenuating circumstances, there's poverty row, I understand all this. But the widow had mites and she gave it. But here's the deal. Don't lie to God. He knows your heart. God, I know you take care of me. I trust you. But you can't trust him with anything in your life? I mean, how does that go over? It, it is entertainment worship. And, and in, in this text of Scripture, when you get over to Isaiah, they're doing all the things on the surface that they're supposed to do. But their hearts are not engaging the Lord. And here's the thing, folks. We can be guilty of loving the atmosphere around here more than the God that's supposed to be the object of our atmosphere. Don't fall into that. Don't slip into thinking that you're worshiping the atmosphere. You're worshiping the God that creates the atmosphere. That's who you're worshiping when you come into this place. Don't allow your life to slip into that. I remember once uh, reading an article by Donald Whitley, and he was talking about his 10th, 10-year-old birthday party. I mean, you're turning 10. That's huge. So he invites five or six of his friends, and they come to the birthday party. And it's his birthday. He's supposed to be the one honored. And yet all eight or nine of the kids that were invited dispersed. And they never came back to the birthday boy. They, they were just gone. And, you know, he was sitting there thinking, sitting on a stump, thinking, you know what? This birthday party was to honor me. And I invited all these people, bought them even a candy bag. And none of them have talked to me yet. They're doing their own thing. You know what? That's the church today in our world. We come supposedly to honor the king, but the king is getting lost in all the fun. Let's be honest now. Go ahead and look inwardly. That's what I'm doing as I'm preaching, right? We, God, get lost, God gets lost. So we can come here to worship in spirit and in truth, but it can be so easy to love the people and love the atmosphere and we end up dispersing and having hearts that are so far away from God, right in the midst of saying that we're a church at First Baptist that worships God. Don't let that happen. Don't slip into that. There is dead worship. 
There's deficient worship and there's entertainment worship. And let's evaluate and we're done. What about uh, our own worship service? Uh, What about our corporate worship together? Real quick, listen to Isaiah 58. Shout with a voice of trump, with a trumpet blast. Tell my people Israel of their sins. They act pious. They come to the temple every day. They seem to delight to hear my laws. (laughs) Here's God. You would almost think that these were righteous people that would never abandon their God. They love to make a show of coming to me and asking me to take action on their behalf. Boy, that sounds like the U.S., doesn't it? We have fasted before you, God. And they say, why aren't you impressed with us? We've done much penance, and you don't even notice. And here's what God says. I'll tell you why. It's because you're living for yourselves even while you're fasting. Can't we be guilty of that? I mean, we're coming in here, and, we, and, and really deep down, we're not, we're not living for the Lord. We're living, and here's what's going on in Isaiah 58. That God says, you've got a veneer uh, of religious fervor. And we, I see this, but it's just a veneer of righteous living. You, you claim to have religious fervor, but it's not issuing into righteous living. Folks, if we come here on Sunday, and we worship the King, and hear the truth, and it doesn't make a difference in the way we live our lives during the week, then we never have worship to begin with. And he reminds them in Isaiah, you've got everything that looks good on the outside. You've got religious fervor, but it ain't going over to Monday. Right? We're not seeing the correspondence or back then to Sunday. You're not seeing that accomplished. So my point is, we need to think about this. Listen, listen to how he comes down toward the end. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interest on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Lord in everything you do and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. If you do this, the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and give you your full share of the inheritance I promised to Jacob, your ancestor. I, the Lord God, have spoken. So evaluating ourselves. Let's think about this for a moment. Why do we worship on Sunday? Because of its theological significance. Who came up out of the grave on Sunday? Oh, my goodness, people. Jesus. I mean, come on, folks. Just about every major event in the New Testament happened on the Lord's Day. God called his disciples on Sunday. Started that work. Came out of the grave on Sunday. Gave the Holy Spirit on Sunday. Gave John on the Isle of Patmos his vision on Sunday. There's a reason for this, and we've missed it. Yes, the Sabbath was Saturday in the Old Testament, but I'm telling you, at least the moral of all of that is that Sunday ought to belong to the Lord. Why? Because Jesus came forth from the grave. So on Sunday, we have rest and worship, and during the week, we actually have spiritual rest and work. Are you sanctifying that day? How about your family? Is it really a day of corporate worship to the King on the Lord's day? I want to remind some of you that it's really the Lord's day, not the Lord's half day. We got a lot of onesers, don't we? They show up one time a week. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to make you feel empty because you're the people of God. You were created to praise Him. You're a holy nation. 
You're a royal priesthood. That's who you are. Is this amen or oh me? Yeah. Oh me, Lord, right? It's all of us. Think about this. Should I remind you again, I think we should surely say that the moral of the fourth commandment is that the whole day belongs to God. Sunday is a day of corporate worship to the king. Now, what about our worship services where we want to sing God-centered songs? We want to create that atmosphere that this is about God, not about us. This is a friendly church, folks. Just stick around till the service is over and people don't want to go home. But there's a time when we come in here and sit down before God that it's not about your friends. It's time to worship the king. Amen? Amen. It, there's a time. You know, David had that one-minute time thing clicking down today, and I was like, okay, we're getting down to zero. And really, that ought to signal, let's get quiet before the king. Let's reverence him. You know, let's have joyful expression. I mean, what does the psalm say? Shout to the Lord in a voice of triumph. That's okay. But even if it's not on the outside, your heart ought to be reverencing the Lord on the inside. And there ought to be a quietness, quietness that comes over your heart when you know you're about to sing and you know that you're about to hear the word preached. We don't want to trivialize our God. We're not going to sing funeral dirges around here either. Right? We're going to sing things that lift up the Lord, and we're going to sing God-centered songs. I want to remind you that this is a meeting house. You know why? Because God meets with his people because you're here. This is not a sanctuary. God dwells in the human heart, not in temples made by hands. The only way this is a church is if you show up. Y'all remember that little analogy? Y'all remember this? Here's the church, here's the steeple, and open the door, and here's the people. Well, folks... If you do it reverse way and you open up like that, there are no people. Well, it's not a church either. The temple of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. So, yes, this is a house of worship. And this is what this ought to be. In personal evaluation, are you taking delight in the Lord? An old Puritan once said, If you leave, with, if you leave God your heart on Saturday night, you might find it with Him on Sunday morning. What do you do on Saturday night? Well, this hurts, doesn't it? Don't go buy seven red box videos at 12 o'clock at night. And come in here on Sunday morning thinking you're going to be fed. I mean, come on, folks. You've got to prepare somehow to meet with God. And I know that God can transcend your preparation. But most of the times, if you, most of the time, if you watch the late night show and you went to bed at 2 o'clock, you're going to be sitting here like this when I'm preaching. And ever so often when I get loud, you go, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I, I know what happens. You know, I don't have any patience for the knucklehead who bought seven red box videos, and you're going to spend Saturday evening watching them no matter what time that is, and you're going to drag into the church, right? Seriously, folks, I know God can transcend that. But we ought to prepare to meet God. And you know why? Because you rob yourself of the reason God made you. He, did I not prove that to you? He made you to worship Him, and if you don't engage Him, you're robbing yourself of what He created you to do, and you're hurting this body. You're hurting the body of Christ when you're not engaging Him. Here's what we need to do. We need to repent before the Lord. Everybody in this room, because I'm going to tell you like it is, there's parts of my engagement to God that's dead. There's parts that are deficient. 
And obviously, all of us have an entertainment problem, don't we? We know that. We know those things. The Father seeks true worshipers. Back to our text. The woman at the well wasn't seeking God before God first sought her. Was she? He went to the well. Jesus chose her, conversed with her, convicted her, challenged her, and changed her. He did it all. But here's what she said. Her testimony was, come see a man who told me all things that ever I did. She went to him with a parched soul, and God transformed her and gave her eternal life. And God made her a person who will worship in spirit and in truth. How are you doing in that area? How am I doing in that area? Brother David, would you come and let's have a song. I know it's a little late. I know you're not going to beat the Methodist today to the line. But I promise you what you're hearing today is important, folks. Can you all see that? The word is important and what you do at the invitation time. I mean, if you really got it, you'll respond to the Lord. And some of you are thinking, well, I don't know if I got it or not. Pray that God will make you willing to get it. Right? Pray that the Lord will speak to your heart. And if, look, the altar is open here. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with coming down here and doing business with the king. All right? If God speaks to your heart, don't think, well, somebody's going to think I've created or done some terrible sin because I'm going down to the altar. No, folks, the altar's here for a reason. And you can make it where you are. I understand that. My thing, God is concerned about the condition of your heart. Let's sing together. Let's stand. If this church is the place you know God has called you to serve and be a part of, you need to be praying about that as well. Let's sing.